Hi, Jim here, and you're listening to the Honest Filmmaker podcast, career advice from people in the business. This week, I spoke to actor and performer Ross Mullen. Ross is an accomplished stage and screen actor. He's toured with big theatre productions, he's a voiceover artist, and he's played iconic characters in television and film in Doctor Who, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and as the White Walker in HBO's Game of Thrones. I had a great chat with Ross about what it's like to be an actor with heavy prosthetics playing fantasy characters. He also gave me some great tips for actors in those roles and the makeup and SFX teams that look after them. Enjoy. So I've looked looked back through your IMDb, looked through your resume. You've got a pretty varied career. You've done tons of stuff. Um, and it looks like you started out in theatre. Did you do any training for that or did you? how did you start? Uh, well, how I started was, um, gosh, uh, <laughs> I bothered my parents enough because there was no drama section that was worth pursuing in my school when I was a kid. Uh, so, uh, see, coming from Canada, my father really wanted me to be a hockey player right. so for 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> for the first 10 years of my life, I was a hockey player for my father. And then we got into a big argument and I said, I want to be an actor. And he said, oh, well, how are you going to do that? And I said, I want to take acting classes. I was only 12. Mm -hmm. uh, so he sold all my hockey equipment and put me into acting classes in Montreal, where I'm from. Yeah, uh, I went to the very first uh, school for children in Montreal called Children's Theatre, uh, where William Shatner actually trained when he was a little boy. Oh, no way. So that's like a long time ago it opened. Yeah. And uh, the same ladies who trained him trained me when I was very small. Yeah. Uh, so I was like 12 years old when I started my training uh, and doing little plays and things for them. And then uh, I went into drama school when I was 16. Uh, I went to uh, a college for drama and then I went on to university and studied drama as well in Toronto mm -hmm. at Ryerson which is where Nia Vardola studied uh my big fat Greek wedding she was a couple of years ahead of me in school mm -hmm. and uh, Eric McCormick from Will and Grace as well yeah oh, awesome and it was that training specifically theater or did it cover film as well um it was pretty much at that stage in the 80s <laughs> you really only had theater training very little um very little training for actual film work mm. i mean the only type of film film training you would get is more intimate style um you know like a closed box sort of smaller uh try to make things tinier because most universities and colleges didn't have the equipment to set up having said that we did have a couple of days where we would go into a film studio see how it operated and worked and so i did have some some kind of idea around what the equipment was like to work with mm. uh what a three what a three three camera setup was like for a tv show but very little very very little and for the first um gosh 15 17 years of my career i did mostly theater i yeah. did very very little film and television yeah and was that going straight into theater did, could you make a living out of that was it that and day yeah. jobs or you just made a steady living out of doing theater productions yeah yeah pretty much i mean you know as an actor does <laughs> you know an actor is uh a man of many hats and woman of many hats a you know i waited tables in between jobs but there wasn't a year that had passed and still to this day there has never been a year that's passed that i haven't had a professional gig mm. um i you know, I worked in a mask theater company for my first four years um, and also doing other little theater jobs in and around Canada. And then I moved to the UK in 1991 with the intention of taking a year off and traveling around Europe. I fell in love with London, decided to stay and met up with a dancer who put me in a show, got me an agent. And then I started touring all around Europe, the Middle East and Asia with musicals uh doing musical shows yeah so what what for somebody who's thinking of purely starting off into theater what mm -hmm. is touring life like <laughs> um it's not for it's not someone 
if you're older, I wouldn't say you want to start off in that direction when you're yeah. old. Uh, it's a young man's game, you know. It's uh, it's it's a hard slog. It can be a very hard slog if you're not touring with one of the big, big, you know, if you're not touring with Angeloid Weber's companies mm -hmm. or one of the big touring companies because you'll be doing your own setups and uh, pack downs and get-ins and get-outs and, you know, doing all the setups and stuff um but it's amazing it's also awesome like i saw the whole world you know doing doing that i i toured literally all over europe uh japan hong kong kuwait taiwan um i was a kid you know i was in my 20s and i couldn't get enough of it you know mm -hmm. traveling around with about seven other actors uh doing productions in the evening and having the whole day to just kind of hang out and see these amazing cities and uh and then, you know, go out and party in the evening because I had the energy for it, right? Um, so it's it's a great way to see the world. Um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, when you're working abroad, you don't really get to see the cities. And that that can be very true when you're filming. Uh, but when you're doing theater, not really, because you got all day to kind of hang out and go see the sites. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, yeah, it's 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 a kind of a toss up between the two, you know, it can be a really great thing. It can also be really exhausting. I burned out after about six or seven years of touring by the end of the nineties, I was exhausted and I just thought I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was coming home to London every six or seven months and London was really a new home for me already. Uh, and I wasn't really setting up roots here and I didn't really know, you know, I felt all discombobulated and I was heading into my thirties and I wanted to change. So, mm -hmm. You know, things had a natural progression into moving away from touring, into looking at maybe doing more film and TV if I could get it, you know, and I couldn't immediately right away. I changed mm -hmm. my agent, um, you know, started doing call center work, uh, box office work, same old in-between jobs, you know, where you meet other actors, uh, you pick up leads and ideas and you know, I did some stand-up comedy. I trained as a puppeteer as well with the Muppets. Um, you know, I've always been interested in adding a new string to my bow in my career. Always did singing lessons, acting classes. And then eventually uh, I got cast in a miniseries and made a bit of money, you know, mm -hmm. finally in my career and put it towards a home, uh, the one I'm sitting in right now. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, and then then I lost everything. Then I went bankrupt, oh. <laughs> and then and then I got another job, and that you know is uh, that pulled me out of my debt, um, and that that uh, was uh, you know that changed the trajectory of my career. Uh, yeah. So you've got to, I mean, if you're interested in this career, you really have to give up the notion of what your mom and dad may have thought security was like, because my parents, you know, my mom was a nurse, my dad worked in oil refineries. What they wanted for me was a security and you know a sense of absoluteness about my career uh that would give me security and pension and all those things uh i don't i don't have that necessarily and not to say that you can't have that as an actor if you're smart with your money i'm not um you know there's a you got to fly by the seat of your pants to a certain degree in this career and you got to accept a certain amount of insecurity um i think and uh, you got to be a bit of a gambler and uh want to do this you know i i remember la like last christmas i met this young girl she was about 16 or 17 at a christmas party with her mom and dad you know and her mom and dad were both lawyers and they said to her you know give her some advice you know tell her tell her she needs something to fall back on <laughs> well you know i said i'm really sorry but you know, I can't say that to her because in my opinion, if you really want to make it in this industry, don't have something to fall back on. Mm -hmm. That's because <laughs> you'll fall back on it easily. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, if you know, if you studied for four years to be a lawyer, just so you could have that as your backup job, <laughs> you're not going to enjoy what it is to be a performer. You know, like you can't just drop your lawyer job or do it on the weekend. You know, it's, uh, that's what waitering is for. That's what call center jobs are for. That's what the little jobs are for that help you connect with other people in the performing industry. Also, they make you want to go and 
do your job, your main job, right? Mm. Um, it's a, it's tough, and it's tough to hear that sometimes. Um, but you got to make it fly. Also, I'm older now, so I don't know what young kids do. I think probably do a lot of stuff online, or uh, I think they hand things out at stations, and uh, you know, it's uh, you got to kind of make it work, right? And uh, there's a fun in that, you know, you, you connect with other actors, you get other leads, you know, you get kind of things like, where are you going? What are you doing? You know, meet people on cruise ships, do cruise ship jobs, all that stuff. There's mm -hmm. a ton of angles you can get in this industry. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's not for everybody. Yeah, I think having chatted to a lot of creatives recently, it does feel like jumping in You've got to jump in. You've got to go for it and commit. And like you say, yeah. I've done it. Done it myself. Where I thought, oh, I'll do a, I'll make another feature film, and I'll, I'll work. I'll go to work. I'll go in in the mornings, and I'll film in the evenings. You know, and I'll split. And then you become a half a person because you're not dedicated to that. You mm. know, that one thing. Um, so yeah, that's good advice. Um, and that must have been an interesting conversation in front of the parents <laughs> to say, yeah, don't get this lawyer job to two lawyers as well. People who are in yeah. the industry. Um, with the uh, theatre training, how much did that prepare you for uh, screen acting? What have you, what did you take from theatre into sort of film and television? Um, it's really tough to say what, <laughs> what, kind of prepares you for what you're doing in the industry now uh I by the end of drama school I was just absolutely desperate to work um and then you really carve your teeth by working so you know some of the actors I've worked with in this industry have never trained and are equally as good and if not sometimes better mm -hmm. uh some people who go into training are destroyed by it and by the end of the three years or four years of training they're nowhere near as talented as they were when they went in. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I would say that for, because I I teach sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes drama school can really, it's not for you. And it's, um, it's a tricky dance, uh, I guess, for the students and for the teachers to know whether that's for you or not and where to direct somebody if it is or it isn't. Because you don't want to be, uh, you know, when I teach, I always say, especially if they're coming to the end of their three years, because often when kids are coming to the end of their three or four years of drama school, they're feeling somewhat disillusioned and frightened of going into the industry. Um, they're overwhelmed. Uh, or they feel extremely safe in the environment that they're in, and they don't want to leave it, you know, but they have to because it's not a realistic environment. We don't. We don't live in that world anymore where you go into a, a theater company which holds you for 10 years like mm -hmm. they did 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to get out of the nest. You must carve your teeth outside. And the world outside of drama school is completely different. Um, every director is different. Every production is different. Everybody has a different angle. You must serve a piece that you're working on. You must serve the director, the producer, and the production itself, and the character you're playing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have a lot of creative input in that, and sometimes you have absolutely none. And sometimes you get bossed around, and sometimes people are like, hey, man, what do you want to do? Sometimes it can be really groovy, loosey-goosey, kind of like, wow, let's all get together and put our ideas together in a pot. And sometimes it's like, chop, chop, we have no time. Let's get on with it. we got to shoot this. Let's go. Make a fast decision and go. Um, I always tell my students, don't forget what it was that got you in this school in the first place. I hope you haven't left that at the door. Because although I think drama schools are very well-meaning, I think sometimes what can be done is you come in with a talent, because obviously they saw some talent in you to bring you in. And then they go, okay, well, this is your talent, you've got that. I want to challenge you and make you more like this and try try to get you to do more of your comedy side or more of your drama side or more your classical training and try to make you a more uh, octopus kind of actor. You know, you can do anything. But some actors are just not that, you know? Some actors will never be that. Some actors are 
really good at being on Coronation Street. And there mm -hmm. is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Some actors are brilliant at horror movies. Some actors are fantastic at comedy. And some people are niche. And some people are very good at moving between all of those. Um, so, you know, sometimes by the end of a drama school, you know, you can feel like, wow, I'm really not good at this. But that's not necessarily true. Because what brought you in there in the first place is a drive and a desire for talent and a belief in yourself to have at least put yourself forward to train in this and there's a lot more there's a lot that goes on that and i really truly believe that you know and i and i really say this from the bottom of my heart you know you cannot dispel what is a good or a bad actor in this industry you cannot decide that Drama schools try to help. They go, oh, that's good acting. That's bad acting. Trust me, man. <laughs> like some bad actors do really, really well in this industry for very good reasons. Mm -hmm. And the one thing you have to really look at in yourself is why are they doing so well? What is it that the audiences get from them? And not look down on them for that, neither the audience or them, but say, how do I fit into this industry? And where is my place in this? It's not my place to go that Pamela Anderson is like not a great actor, but Judy Dench is amazing. I mean, they're both really, really successful. Mm. And that is that. Some audiences love Judy Dench and some audiences love Pamela Anderson. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a, that's a fair, fair game. Mm. And there's room in the industry for people who are extremely commercial actors. And there's room for classical actors as well. And I believe that a lot of classical actors would tell you the exact same thing. Mm. you know and a lot of people can hold their chops in between both believe it or not i think um yeah i think the last like 15 20 years of the industry has really shown us a lot of who can really survive this mm. especially with the advent of reality tv and such you know a whole other branch of our careers opened up through social media instagram putting ourselves forward on twitter on all of these things that are kind of important platforms as well um, you know, these are all things that have to be considered when you go into this industry. Mm. Uh, and it's important to know, try and figure out who am I in this? You know, who am I? Who, uh, would, how would you suggest people do that? Is that gut or is that seeing how people react to you in those different types of acting? Well, yeah, I mean, there's no other way than just getting in and doing it, you mm. know, like, first of all, I think, you know, I always say to actors, what do you want to do? Like, what do you, what, what do you like? What drove you in here? Mm. You know, be honest with yourself. It's okay if you say like, hey man, I'm here because I used to watch Happy Days on TV when I was a kid. And I was like, I just want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not here because of Shakespeare or Chekhov. I'm here because like, you know, I thought Madonna was cool. And <laughs> who's that girl? Yeah. You know, and it's like, good. Then go back to that and figure like, why is that good for me? Like, how would I do my own or how do I, what's my thing? You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a question. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, <laughs> I believe it's a very kind of psychological question in a way that an actor needs to ask himself, especially when he's young and he's trying to make an identity for himself. Uh, I think young actors who really succeed are the ones who, I wouldn't say are naive, but are open to the possibility of doing anything really and mm. go, I'll give it a go. I'll mm. give it a try. Um, you know, we often say like, oh, wow, you know, you know, ignorance is bliss uh, and look at that as a negative. But, you know, I was pretty ignorant when I came into this industry. I was a bit like, I'll do anything. Like, I was just like, I just want to be in it. I want to yeah. be, I mean, mostly I wanted to be on TV. But that wasn't possible right away. So yeah, I'll do theater. Yeah, I'll do, I just want to be in front of people. I want to act, mm. you know? People were like, I ended up doing mask theater for the first four years. And that, you know, that brought me into being a very uh, physical actor that I had no idea that I was. A very physical actor when I was younger. Um, I was good at sword fighting, even though I didn't really like it. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I didn't realize I, I'm six foot four and I'm really lean. I, I look really good when I'm sword fighting on stage. Somebody told me that, I'm like, great, good, I'll do that. 
So I did a lot of sword fighting my first year. That must be the hockey, surely. Is that the hockey training? I guess so, yeah. I had a finesse about me. I I don't know. It's, um, I was a yes person, you know? Mm. And I'm definitely not saying get out there and do whatever anybody asks you to do. That could be, obviously, put you in a dangerous situation. But um, being a yes man uh, is a good thing, you know? Mm. Being a yes person, saying, like, yeah i'll do that first port of call like you know would are you know do you want to stilt walk <laughs> yeah i'll give it a go i'll try yeah. like i need to train that's how i learned how to stilt walk people yeah. go do you know how to do stilts and i go no <laughs> they go great are you, do you want to try i'm like sure you know same with my horseback riding that i learned on game of thrones i went to that audition and people were like you know they were just like can you ride a horse and i was like no I cannot, and I'm 45 years old, uh, so you might want to look for your horseback rider. And they were like, "Well, if we sent you out on lessons, would you want to learn?" I'm like, "Sure, yeah, yes, I'm a yes person, you know." Yeah. Um, and they sent me out on horseback riding lessons. Uh, you know, be willing to try new things. It was the same with puppeteering. Mm-hmm. Try it. See if you like it. See if that's your thing. You know. And slowly but surely, your identity as a performer will come to the forefront you know it'll come up for you you'll see where you belong you see ah i have a face that looks like the uncle in aladdin so i end up playing <laughs> abanazer jafar for <laughs> five years six years of panto life that i did yeah you know um maybe i wanted to play widow twanky but i didn't you know yeah but i'm yeah. happy playing jafar or you know abanazer so, hey. so then that brings me on to, so you seem like a nice guy, you know, quite calm, casual, chatty, but then you end up playing all these horrible, not horrible, scary <laughs> characters. Where, yeah. Where's that come from and why, why do you think that is? Why have you ended up in those? Um, It's interesting that, um, I'm writing about that at the moment. Oh, are you? <laughs> Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Um, well, there's a lot to be said about the the character that is the evil one mm. in the piece, the the uh, you know the antagonist in the piece. Um, it's a beautiful sacred space to be held. Actually, it's a great honor because. What you need to do and to two two things you need to recognize is is you know you have to have empathy for this character uh you have to be able to see that growing up as a gay man from a very young age and knowing that i really could identify with how i felt the world saw me and thought that maybe i was there was something wrong or bad with within me uh so i think from that angle i can empathize with the person and maybe why they are as angry or as monstrous as they have become what has led them to that but then also you have to understand how you serve the peace too that you have to understand that there's a protagonist in there the person who does understand or needs to conquer that or uh, slay that dragon or get get rid of that. And that you're part of that piece as well. You're, you're an element of that piece because the piece is an overall metaphor for life, right? And you're only part of that, that metaphor. And so is the protagonist. So you're all part of that creation of that story. Um, it's a great honor to play them. I'm tall. I'm also bald. <laughs> I, you know, there's things that may they make you know make it really easy for me to play the evil guy, uh, and that's cool. And they're always a lot of fun to play. Uh, you know, it's a great honor to play anything at all. <laughs> to have any kind of casting chuck your way, mm-hmm. understanding your the the reasoning behind it and understanding how how you're going to do it is really important. You know, for mm-hmm. me. Mm. I think for any actor, I suppose, um, the whys and hows of why I'm doing it or how I come around to be playing these, I don't know. Mm. You know, I, I'm not 100% sure, but 
like I said, I'm writing about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I guess, would you say uh, that your agent and your headshots and your showreel have a part to play in you even getting through the door into audition of those particular parts? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. Mm. You know, uh, I try to put forward as much stuff I can on my showreels. You know, uh, I haven't updated mine for ages. Mm. Uh, <laughs> update your showreels. Uh, yeah, I haven't updated mine for ages because I have a lot of stuff I'd love to put on there that's comedy. Because, uh, mm. you know, I worked in comedy for years. Uh, and I've done some really good little bits and bobs comedy wise in film and TV, uh, like short films and stuff recently. And, uh, you know, you always want to show different angles and stuff. And I just got cast recently playing a father. Uh, and it's a comedy. He's His daughter's been kidnapped uh, on her honeymoon, but it is a comedy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm glad that I, I've had the opportunity for someone to see me like that again, yeah. you know? Like, uh, it's a great opportunity, you know? So, yeah, keeping... I, I think, yeah, my agent sort of tries her best to to get me a job really mm. and that's great and i'm game for any kind of job really so then with the parts so the doctor who stuff a game of thrones mm -hmm. just just from a logistical side how are they described to you when you go in for an audition is there a particular because i heard the term skin performer before mm -hmm. does that apply or is it like because i'm assuming the doctor who thing you're you're kind of fully in there aren't you in the character yeah so how are they pitched to you when you when you're going for an audition? They're more animatronic heads, like mm -hmm. they're kind of big blobby things that are chucked onto you. Both of them have their extremely challenging. They're both of them are extremely challenging. One of them is like you sit in a chair for six hours and have makeup done, and then you've got to film for 12 hours after a six-hour chair. And then you've got an hour and a half out of the chair, you know, getting all the makeup off four hours sleeping and then you're back in the chair again and then you know it goes like that so you have to be able to work like that for like at least a week maybe two weeks three weeks maybe four weeks who knows and not have a massive meltdown emotionally just <laughs> tricky yeah. it's really definitely tricky mm -hmm. not everybody can do that because some people don't operate on well under very little sleep some some people don't operate well doing night shoots, mm -hmm. <laughs> even when they're not in prosthetic. So prosthetic work is challenging. Mm -hmm. um, then there's the motion capture stuff or the uh, motion capture is challenging in its own right, just simply because you're covered in balls and you're not on set really. You're in a studio and it's all imagination and it's I find it exhausting. Mm -hmm. um, I find it repetitive. I find it, I find it really draining because you're just... There's no set, there's no costume, there's no props. It's like, uh, you know, it's like being back in drama school. Um, mm. And then there's the animatronic head world of, of Doctor Who and that kind of thing uh, that I've experienced. Those, there's very difficult to breathe inside of them. They're very confining. They're, you know, very claustrophobic. If you're claustrophobic at all, you've got to be able to go to your sweet space in your head so there's a very, you know, there's a couple of places you've got to be able to go to in your brain to be able to do all of this stuff. And um, you also have to, you know, really want to do it. Mm. <laughs> that is basically it. Like, I really wanted to be in a movie. So put me in a witch's costume in Clash of the Titans that takes forever and I can't breathe in it and I'm dying of overheating. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because I'm going to be in a Warner Brothers movie. That's that's what I want to do. You yeah. know, I don't want to work in an office in Canary Wharf. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Yeah, I just don't want to do that. I want to do this, you know. And so it comes with its own challenges. And and so think of an think of an actor who's uh, for doing prosthetic stuff for the first time. Mm. What, were, what are your tips for uh, dealing with long makeup hours and long uh you know like you said long makeup hours performance long d-rig little sleep what, what what are your tips for sort of handling that so really reserve your energy do not 
Do not think you've got to do anything until the cameras are up, ready, and they call action. Because everything that you do in a prosthetics or an animatronic head or whatever, you're burning your energy out. And there's no point in doing any of that until the cameras are rolling. So, and it's difficult because as an actor, you know, you want to keep your energy ready and ready and ready, but really you need to pace yourself. That's one thing. Uh, know your diet with your stomach, your, your toileting, really understand your diet and your body. Don't overeat or eat things that make you feel funny or weird. Eat for you what is makes you feel healthy and good. What might be good for me not might not be good for you. So stay hydrated. Uh, listen to your team. Listen to the makeup artists. The makeup artists are your team. The, of course, the director, of course, the producer are extremely important in this, but they will work alongside your makeup team. Your makeup team are your entourage on this. They are, they are your part of your creation. So do not work against them in any way, shape, or form. Listen to them, listen to them and trust them because if you can't see or breathe properly, they are there to help you. They are there to help you breathe, help you see. They will be your eyes, they will be your ears if you cannot hear. They will communicate for you to the director and the producer if you cannot do that they are there you must trust them especially if you feel like oh i'm panicking right now you must tell them like i'm feeling panicky right now or i gosh i feel a bit funny or i'm i'm feeling a little weird and dizzy right now share that with them they're they're equipped to understand that and deal with it they're not working at odds with you and they don't want to be mean or cruel to you they're there to support you and and when you work alongside them they're a gift they then you gossip with them and have fun with them and the day goes by like that yeah you're having cups of tea and you're giggling and you're talking about the real housewives and it's all okay you know it's not it's not going to be the big dark horrible experience that it can be because it can be very isolating and lonely and strange feeling on set mm. um so reach out and say i don't feel well i need to sit down now is extremely important to say to the director or the first AD or your, you know, because the last thing people want is for you to be taken off by the medic. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> then it's like game over. You know, we got to really figure out what we're doing for the rest of the day mm -hmm. because we want you well enough. So if it means you're running out of water and you will be because more so than somebody else on set, you're not, you're not a superhuman, you know, you need to be, you know, even when you're when you're working like this all day, you'd be surprised how much more water you need than you normally do because your body's in panic mode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You've never been like this all day in your life, you know, covered your ears. So your body's working like this. You're sweating more. You're scared. Your body will work on a never fear. Even when you calm yourself down and go, this is okay. Your body still has an inner fear that needs to be calm. So you can say, it's it's okay, Ross. It's okay. So you try to put it into perspective, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so on the flip side of that, say you're doing your, you might be a student doing your graduation film, or you might be making your first feature film, and you've got an actor in who's got prosthetics on them. Mm -hmm. What would be your tips for the director, producer on dealing with that person? What can they do to help that, to get the most out of that actor? Oh, good question, because I'm about to meet a director next week because I'm working on a short film. It's his end of year project, actually. And there we go. <laughs> and uh, there we go. Uh, what is my suggestion? My suggestion is to work with, try and get on board a very, very good experienced prosthetics person, at least. If you don't know what you're doing, at least get somebody, a makeup artist who knows what they're doing mm -hmm. so they can advise and help you. So I think directors and producers alike, and I think a good producer and a good director will do this, listen to the people who have experience prior to you and go, listen, I defer to you. But also be able to put forward what it is you need or you want from your project, right? So uh, I need you to play an ant that is, you know, so, you know, I don't wanna see your eyes. I don't wanna see your mouth. I don't even wanna see your nose. And then I can say to you, well, I need to be able to breathe. So 
something has to be done within this suit. And, you know, what you need to do is just be open to conversation and cooperation. And I think what young film directors struggle with, and I work with them a lot at Met Film, I do some classes there, you know, or step in as an actor there. Um, I think what what a lot of directors experience, even when they become very professional and very good directors, is communication can be tricky, which is understandable because the director sees things through the lens of the camera. So they're looking at the lens of the camera and they're not paying attention to you over there. Mm. But, you know, if you're young and you're coming into this industry, it'll benefit you a little bit, especially if you're working with prosthetics actors, to really know where what your parameters are of what you can can get out of them and what you can't mm. and so it's it's very important you know I learned this only by doing you know I had to be able to say to the first AD and the director I can only do two more takes mm. and then I've got to, I've got a break I need to break so it can't be dictated or called all the time by the director and the first AD of course we understand we need to get through the shoot but sometimes my body is just like okay now I know I can't do much more than this so just understand that you're not working with a regular actor you're working with somebody who's physically limited at the moment you know being debilitated uh by by their whole body being smothered by a substance of some sort so listening cooperating trying to uh figure out what the piece really needs and serve that um and you know like I asked the director that I'm working with on this piece that we're shooting next month you know I said I'd love to meet up with you and have a coffee just to talk through all of what we're going to be doing and I want to hear what your vision is what you would like from me um what is what how how do you see this you know I, I've read the piece how do you see it coming to life before us physically on set you know how is that going to be realistic what's going to be expected of me and then I can tell you how I best work you know I work really well I mean like a lot of people do the first half of the day seven o'clock till 12 one o'clock is my sweet spot after one o'clock my body gets tired you know I'm also older 56 now I kind of need a nap, you know, around two o'clock. If you really want the best of my ability at three or four o'clock, I need a good 20, 25 minute nap. Mm -hmm. Then I'm great. You know, expressing that sort of thing, hearing that sort of thing and working with that sort of thing can really help you to really benefit a project. Yeah. And I think from the other side of the camera, I've probably been guilty of this in very early productions is you you don't see the person you see the the character the prosthetic yeah. and you don't appreciate their discomfort so you sort yeah. of treat them a little bit like in some instances like we had a, on one of the first films we had a killer guy in a killer clown outfit with all prosthetics and stuff and and almost because they're not coming up to you and speaking to you and saying actually i'm really uncomfortable i really need a break yeah. you just oh they're okay and you just carry on and you know yeah. what filming's like it's long days things take ages to set up so the real key is preparation and scheduling to make sure you're when they yeah. come out of that makeup you you use them they're not sat over there in discomfort for an hour before they yeah. get in front of the camera um well that's that's what i was saying about you know burning yourself out mm -hmm. you know it's the same with the director you know don't burn out your actor if he's ready to go and he's in his prosthetics you know and they're you know time is ticking i mean i think you know what what happened on clash of the titans was and uh, we had to resolve this after day one was the they were you know, we were shooting in a, in a shale pit. We were playing three blind witches in that. And in that shale pit, there was fire pits that would blow. Oh, right. And there was actual fire. It wasn't yeah. CGI. It was actual fire and actual steam. Well, you know, they would have that fire and steam going and going and going before we even rolled the camera. So you can imagine how hot that studio was. It was, you could cook a roast in there. Mm -hmm. And then we're sat there and... I'm 40, 50 pounds of prosthetics, only able to breathe through my mouth. Within an hour, I my heart is racing. I can't see anything because I've got so much, like, I mean, already I could barely see anything. I've got so much sweat. I, I, I'm drowning. 
um and i'm scared basically mm -hmm. i'm like basically afraid yeah uh and you can't see me you can't see me and it was really my makeup artist who said are you okay because mm -hmm. it's really hot in here and i was like i don't know and she she just said to me it's your call but listen you you know don't don't get sick because that's that's you know the worst <laughs> like that you get ill and i was like she's like do you need to get off set and i said yeah i do and she just you know little girl that she was at the time she's a big makeup artist now stood up and she just went stop stop everything stop stop i have to get him off set he's overheating it's mm -hmm. like get him off get him out get him out and i just never wanted that to occur again you know mm -hmm. i didn't want that to occur then and nobody wants that to occur but if you can't see the person or think about the person or know what's going on in there, you know, after that, I can tell you everything changed. You know, the executive <laughs> producer stepped in, Richard Zanuck, yeah. and changed everything. He was like, this is not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, you're going to be fine. <laughs> because he said to me, when you speak, that's me speaking. Whatever you need. You tell them, and that's, I've told them that when you speak, that's me speaking, and I'm the executive producer here. So, you know, thankfully for him, I went back on that set, and I could voice myself, but people were immediately like, are you okay? Do you need some water? Do you need some ice? Are you cool enough? Are you? Then I could work. Yeah. And the end result is, you know, Clash of the Titans remake is not a classic, but I take great pride in our scene. I think mm -hmm. we did an amazing job, The Witches. I think it's one of the best scenes in the movie. I really mm -hmm. do. And I look at that today. I watched it on the plane going over to Omaha uh, a few months ago. And I thought, you know, wow, like, I can't believe I actually did that mm -hmm. <laughs> because I nearly died on that. I yeah. literally nearly died on that set. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, the executive producer thought so, too, because mm -hmm. at the premiere, I said to him, you know, hey, Mr. Zanuck, I'm Ross Mullen. He said, hey, you played the witch in, in my movie. I nearly killed you, but I didn't kill you. You know, and I was like, yeah, I know. And he was like, ah, forget about it. You know, without him, uh, I don't know if I'd be here. Really. Yeah. And and again, you've highlighted some, some great advice for people training in prosthetics is having the confidence to speak up on behalf of your performer yeah, because again, it can be a bit intimidating if you're on a set and you're mm -hmm. starting out and you're in the prosthetics department, but you're really responsible for that person for looking after them. So you need to speak up if you yeah if they need your help. Um, so so I've got to talk about your Game of Thrones character. Um, did did you know because that's such a big scene, such an epic moment? Did you know that was going to be that big and epic when you did it, or? you know what was your kind of going into it did you know it was going to be because it is it's it's one of the it's like some of your other ones it's become like a real iconic image were you yeah. aware of that when you were when you were about to do it uh no not at all uh <laughs> god not not in the least yeah uh because i just come back off of clash of the titans and as you understand that was my first prosthetics job and i hated it so i never wanted to do another one again yeah and the makeup artist from that became the makeup artist on, on uh, Game of Thrones. Connor O'Sullivan was the original makeup artist for the White Walker that I, I did in season two. Got in touch with my agent and said, we'd like to have Ross in for this. And my agent said, hey, like, they want to have you back doing your mom. And I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, I was like, I really, really, I don't want to do that. <laughs> she was like, well, it's a really, it's like, it's Game of Thrones. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Mm -hmm. I was like, not even watching it or it's not on my, wasn't on my radar. Um, she was like, yeah, you need to ride a horse. And I was like, I don't ride a horse. So there we go. It's like, not going to happen. She said, well, listen, you know, I've talked to them, you know, cause we were going back and forth. And she said, Connor would really like you to just go down and chat with them and hear them out. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay. So I went down to the audition, literally, uh, and I said, I'm here for King of Thrones. And they were like, uh, it's Game of Thrones. Nina Gold was like, it's Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, it's a game. I thought it was a TV show. And she went, no, it's a, it's a TV show. It's called Game of Thrones. It's, 
based on a series of books. And I went, oh, there's books. <laughs> I was like, literally, I have no idea. It was so not on my radar at all. Uh, and in the audition process uh, was, of course, I'm a creative and I, 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 you know, I'm fascinated still, you know, I went in there, they showed me a beautiful storyboard of gorgeous images that were both drawn and photographs of indigenous tribal people from all over the world, New Zealand, South America, North America, all these wild ideas of this tribal warrior, this, they describe this character that steals babies from the snow and like, they don't know what they do with them. And it was all kind of, it was very similar to my audition for Clash of the Titans. They didn't have, they had like all descriptions and cool things, that they, but they didn't have a script because mm -hmm. the character didn't speak, you know? Uh, and they had like a big, <laughs> they had a big inner tube of a uh, wrapping paper, you know, those mm -hmm. cardboard inner tubes. Yeah. And they're like, that's your sword. So like, you know, take that sword and, you know, we're going to just turn the camera on and maybe you can improvise. And I think Connor knew that I would do this like because that's what I did for my Clash of the Titans audition. I just told them to turn on the camera and I'd improvise. Mm -hmm. And so I improvised this little thing where like, you know, I was just like warrior walking through the snow barefoot and, you know, pointing Then I see a baby in the snow and I point this cardboard inner tube at it like it's a knife and I'm going to like kill it. And then I pick it up and I was about to stab it and then I kissed it. And everybody laughed and they were like, oh, okay, that's funny, but don't do that. When we do it the second time. And then we had this discussion about horses. Could I ride? Was I afraid? Was I not? Would I be willing to? Um, my father's from Northern Ireland. So having an Irish passport as well helped me because mm -hmm. they were filming up in Ireland. Um, I've been on a farm a lot, you know, so they were like, I'm not afraid of horses in any way, but I just didn't know how to ride. So I was like game for riding, you know, game for doing it. And, you know, they're convincing me. And Connor kept saying to me, it's not going to be Clash of the Titans. You're going to be able to see, you're going to be able to breathe through your nose. You'll be able to breathe through your mouth. And because you're riding a horse, you're going to, the prosthetics going to be a lot easier on you. Um, I got it. <laughs> then I started watching Game of Thrones. Um, I knew that I was going to be the season finale of season two. Like that was going to be, you know, you are the season finale of season two, your reveal. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't realize how cool that was a spot until I watched the end of Game of Thrones. And I was like, oh, wow, this these guys created a really cool, you know, they kill off their main character in the end of season one. I was yeah. like, whoa, what? Uh, this is crazy. This cannot be. So I thought, oh, cool, what well, they're going to have. And also I realized there's nothing like my character on this show, right? So then I started talking to other people, you know, it was a bit hush-hush, but I started to tell personal friends, like, oh, I'm in this show, Game of Thrones, based on books. They were like, oh my God, you're going to be like one of the others, which is the White Walker. You're going to be, you're like, wow, that's mega big. It's going to be huge. Uh so I had an inkling that it was going to be big. Um, what did I, I wasn't really 100% sure of anything until it's out there, you know. Uh, I guess, you know, it, the penny really dropped when the first day of shooting, Dave and Dan, the producers, came to my trailer and said, you know, nobody knows what you look like except for us and the makeup team. Uh, we're going to bring your horse over to the makeup trailer and then uh, you can climb up on the horse and then we're going to ride you, you know, you ride over to the studio because it was all shot. The very first season was shot on a green screen at Shepperton. And uh, they, you know, I rode my horse over to the studio and then they kicked the barn doors open and I just rode in on my horse and people were like, ah, you know, grabbing their phones. And then they were like, no, 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 you can't take a photograph. People were like, oh my God, this is like mind blowing. It was like, you know, so uh, then I was like, oh, this is going to be, <laughs> this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of had an inkling and then, you know, then it happens and then your Twitter feed blows up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And what I've taken away from that is when 
my son grabs those uh, wrapping paper tubes and starts <laughs> yeah. playing with them, I should let him play with them because clearly oh, yeah. that's, <laughs> that turns into something when, you, uh, when you're a pro. Um, so, so the Doctor Who stuff, because um, you did three three roles on Doctor Who, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, so was it a case of you did one and they invited you back, or did were they three separate jobs? Well, weirdly, I've done four. But oh, one four. of them is not actually on Doctor Who. It was in Doctor Who Proms. Right. Uh, my first job was the Doctor Who Proms, replacing Spencer Wilding playing the Ice Warrior and the Proms, mm -hmm. and but that was still working with the Doctor Who team. And after that, uh, they invited me to replace one of the guys who was playing the silence, because there's four people playing the silence. He dropped out and I could fit the bill because I'm the same height. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was filling in again. <laughs> and then my third job was, we'd like to offer you your own character, your own creature, which was the teller. And then my fourth one was coming back and, you know, filling in a gap, playing a, a rape in mm. jenna coleman's last episode hellbent so yeah it was and i think really largely by then i was getting a a name for myself for playing creatures i'd played a few uh not just uh the white walker and uh the one in clash of the titans but i had done a couple of commercials and stuff as well playing space aliens or monsters um so doctor who was you know i was on their radar and um yeah they were you know wanted me to come in and do a few monsters for them yeah yeah no, yeah you, become, cool. you just become <laughs> you just become uh typecasted yeah and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. that's exactly mm -hmm. what you want in this industry is some sort of typecast so that you can be cast yes as <laughs> some sort of type. yes they don't know how to cast you you won't get cast yes you know? very true for more advice, tips, tricks, hints, all sorts from people who are in the business and who are working right now, please do subscribe to the Honest Filmmaker podcast.